That was a good one, everybody. Yes, indeed. Yo, thank you so much for downloading the podcast. It's been a little, it's been a little while, been a little while, but I'm very excited to bring you my guest today. His name is uh, Mr. Craig Smy, and you may find all of his uh, his things. He's an animator. He's a uh, he's a drawing type of person. He's like a computer programmer dude. He he does all kind of stuff. He's amazing. We have a great conversation. You can check out all of his things at uh, CraigSmy.com. C R A I G S M Y E something like that. It's it's written down somewhere. You can find it. It's there. But anyway, we have a good uh, good chat. There's actually going to be a, a part two to this, so stay tuned for that. If you enjoy this, you will enjoy part two. And if you don't like this, then you probably won't like part two. So there's uh, two episodes you can skip. Here you go. Here's my good buddy Craig. Thank you so much for listening. Have you a good day. Would you play the musics? You may be only the second Canadian to ever grace these of MP3 files or whatever whatever this thing is. Well, that's simultaneously an honor and disappointing. Yeah, right? I need to get more Canadians yeah. on this thing. It's I a love, real contradiction. It really is. <laughs> I love I love Canada. I've never been to Canada, but I love Canada. And I don't know you gotta why. Love Canada. You gotta love Canada. Meanwhile in Canada, we're just hanging out with moose and shit. Yeah, that's the way it goes. That's, yep. that's the way that it goes. That's what I hear. I remember, um, you know, seeing all, hearing all the stories and stuff about Canada, but I've never been. I want to go so bad. So you've uh, you were born you were born and raised in Canada. Is this correct? Yes, I'm very Canadian because I was born in Montreal, oh. and uh, I was raised in Ontario, but in a thing called French immersion, where I didn't have English in school until the third grade. And then it was only part of the day. There was an English class, and the rest of the day was still all in French. Oh, wow. So, like, yeah, so French is your first language? No, English is my first language, but in school for the, those first several years, it was entirely French, every subject all day. Oh, wow. And that, that way, it's called French immersion, and you just, uh, yeah, you become bilingual as a child, which, you know, it sticks. Oh, that's pretty. So you're still, you're still good with the French? Still good with the French. Ça va très bien avec le français. Je suis assez fort avec le français, mais je n'ai pas beaucoup d'opportunités de pratiquer. C'est pas toujours. It's not every day that I get to use it. I actually understood a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah. I can tell. I took a little bit of French in there. Yeah, I know. I know, you know. You don't get to use it. So not not everybody around you, you know, like the street signs and stuff like that. Is that in French or no? Everything in Canada. I'll show you my movie collection. Oh, OK. Every, everything in Canada has French writing on it. So you try and read a label. I'm going to have to call it my own image here. You try and read a label like, oh, I want to watch Oblivion Lubli. Because everything kind of echoes in French. Oh. So it's got like, you might have that in certain territories in the States, but in Canada, it's our national language. So everywhere you look has the name duplicated in French. And it gets really annoying because I sometimes want to do the math for, so there's Star Trek First Contact and there's Star Trek Premier Contact, right? Right. And then there's the movie collection. Oh, reference. nice. But, uh, See, that could get confusing. Everything in Canada... 
it gets confusing. It's road signs. It's everywhere you look. It's in English and then in French. And I want to do the math for how much time I wasted in my life accidentally reading the French. Because <laughs> I, you know, some people just filter it out because they can't read French. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But I can read it. It's like it's just like reading English. So it's like, fuck, I'm reading the French too. <clears throat> so you read everything twice. You know, you go, but there's a stop sign or something. You're like, oh, stop, stop. Does it- yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's very efficient it's actually you know what i'm wrong about uh road stop signs don't say arrête on them i'm pretty sure now that i think about it maybe they do i don't think they do so i might have been inaccurate about stop signs and stuff like that but any kind of any kind of text right i think because a stop a stop sign it has the like just the shape and the red is universal yeah yeah but, you can pretty uh, much tell yeah pretty much anything else like if you look at it has french on it like that. This also has Spanish on it, though, which is that's it's not usual. That's not normal at all. Well, yeah. So it's sort uh, of it's sort of the same thing here. We got a lot of the, a lot of the Spanish on there. It's not as much as the. Papel as para to... bocheta. That's that's Portuguese. The Portuguese. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you one way or the other. I don't know. I've never seen three languages on in any of this and anything. So now you got me thinking, man. You, got I don't, me yeah. you know, it's all around you. You're used to it. You got yeah. that, all these two languages, two languages swirling around in your head. Now that's it's a cognitive, cognitive overhead, the two languages thing. But it's good because it, it's like uh, gives you a more well-rounded uh, grasp of language, if you know what I mean. Like because uh, English is all formed from Latin roots. Right. So so is French. Right. So when you learn the language and the word in both languages, you get a strong, stronger grip of the Latin root so that when you encounter new words or you need to like interpret something you've never heard before or, or regardless of whether you, it's a first or, a first or not, it's you, it just becomes a deeper set, I think, oh, that, in yeah, two that's, languages. That's good. Spanish is the same thing. Yeah. So they, they forced Spanish you at an early age to learn the French. You had no choice. <laughs> they got, well, kind of, but it was my parents decided to do that because we had come from Montreal, right? Right. Because it, it, French immersion, when I was a kid, was like uh, – you know, there'd be like one class in a school district for French immersion out of like five schools would be one class of French immersion. Oh. So it's it's not common. It's oh. a little more common now, but it's still a special thing. So usually like uh, once we moved to this city, had like special busing because it wasn't like my local school had French immersion. Oh, OK. So they, they chose. Yeah. That was like, little Craig, you're going to learn the French. Yeah, like... They, my dad's hero was Pierre Trudeau. You ever heard of that guy? No, dude, he was no. this very, well, his son is now the prime minister. That's what's going on in Canada. Oh, Trudeau, so okay. He, Trudeau, he was, the, he was Pierre, his dad. That's uh, Justin Trudeau now, right? Right. Of course, his name is Justin Timberlake. But uh, excuse my language. Can I swear in this thing? <laughs> um, no. Okay, sorry. Um, That's okay. But... Yeah, my dad's hero was like Pierre Trudeau, and my parents just thought it was any true Canadian should speak French, and it was important to them. And it does, in turn, like the Canadian sense, it's an advantage. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense, having two languages. How could it hurt? Yeah. Knowing two things. Can't hurt. Yeah, can't hurt. (laughs) I I get all that French cinema and stuff. That stuff's good. Like silly TV. Oh, that'll be fun to watch. I've never watched any French TV. 
Oh. The, the, the TV in Quebec is so boring. <laughs> oh, it's it so boring. It looks like American TV from the seventies, which if you look at it, it's all like variety shows all the time. Right. And just it's just it's just like here's a singer and here's another singer, and here's Carol Channing, here's Don Rickles. Like and then it's like they, they put it in one context and then they put it in another context. It's like the same string of people. <laughs> That's what Quebec TV is like ninety percent of it. It's just these pageants of talent. You know what I mean? Which I love talent, but have you got any stories to tell me right, right, on right. TV? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like it'd be entertaining for about five minutes. Yeah, it's like, it's a I, bit of, can we learn a new a little, language and watch something else? Yeah, like, uh, oh, oh they, you got a singer and then like a, a troop of little kids dancing. Like it literally looks like uh, CB's, uh, what do you call it, a, a PBS telethon. <laughs> Uh, mixed with like a disco review half the time, straight out of the seventies. I don't, I don't know. You're kind of selling it to me pretty good. I kind of want to watch it now. <laughs> now you're curious. Yeah, yeah, now I'm curious about it. So I'm interested. Now you and I have met, uh, as I have met so many other peoples over the uh, over the periscopes. Yeah. How did you uh, discover the uh, the periscope app? Um, I first heard of it from two main places before I tried it, which was uh, I religiously listened to no, not religiously, but for five years, listen to most of the episodes of Doug Loves Movies. Do you know that podcast? I do not, but um, I'm assuming that's about Doug loving movies. It's about this guy, Doug, and he wouldn't you know it, loves movies. <laughs> I know it. Uh, <laughs> he very astute. And then also from, uh, he kept mentioning it, and then Julie Bush, this uh, screenwriter that I like to uh, look at her tweets. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, you know her? Yeah, I know Julie she, Bush. She kept talking about Periscope like early on. So she was the first Periscope I ever, like I installed it. And I was like, Julie Bush keeps talking about it. Julie Bush. There she is. And I went in. So she was like the first person I followed. And I think I was lucky to first encounter her because I found her to be particularly like raw and real. Right. Yeah, she was. Whereas, yeah, like Periscope is always immediate and it's always live, but it's not always raw and real. That's true. You're often dealing... Yeah, with some highly packaged or some major pretentiousness or this and that, right? Right. Uh, but Julie uh, extemporizes very well. She can, like, go off the top of her dome and, like, write something with a, a seal and a cap on it. You know what I mean? And uh, not everybody can do that. Yeah, that's a talent for sure. Yeah, I like uh, is she still, Does she still do the things? I haven't seen her on in a while. No, like, it used to be every night. And I'm always just sitting here. So I, I used to watch every night, but now it's like once in a blue moon and I usually miss it. Oh, that's no good. But it, it was her. And then um, I didn't start scoping myself for a week or two, but uh, I'm trying to think of like who else I followed early because she used to mention you, but I don't think I ever really looked in all that much uh but i always heard different people mention you along the way like sock cop sock cop and like this sock cop guy like who is this and i always wanted to ask you if you're related to ed the sock right yeah he's a canadian you know, icon that guy yeah i know ed <laughs> yeah. the sock you've probably been asked that before but he, he was my hero he had a great tv show in the in the 90s that was some real kind of like punk tv yeah and i like that kind of stuff kind of in the vein of periscope like just right in your face live you know and not much production value but a lot of character yeah that's my kind of style 
<laughs> that's what yeah. I like. That's some good stuff. Yeah, I can usually tell the uh, the Canadian. I can tell there was like a, a difference. I used to get uh, Ed the Sock and Syphil and Ollie were the two ones. So I could usually tell the Canadians would say Ed the Sock, and then the American people would say Syphil and Ollie. I've seen you. You you normally you don't show your face. You're a very handsome man. Do you ever show your I face do. on Periscope? Yeah, every once in a while I do. That's the way to get followers, I find, because I might add a follower or two from drawing and animating and game devving, but it's always a churn. It just stays consistent. Oh yeah. When I when I, when I net positive over a week or so, say, over any given sampling period. It's got to be FaceTime. You know, I mean, you have to be making eye contact. You have to be interacting um, as a person. And when I say you, I mean me. Like, that's just been my experience. Like, so, but the other thing is, I find that most of those people I add who come around because they like my appearance mm-hmm. are not interested in my art all that much or my games or animation that's why i try and just stay off camera because i'm trying to filter it to like people who are actually about what i'm doing which might be wrong headed you're trying to build a following yeah i don't know i don't know it could be but those people sound like jerks if they look they'll be like <laughs> hey look at this handsome canadian man oh always oh, broadcasting again what's he doing oh he's creating art Ugh, gross i don't want to watch that i just want to yeah, look like- up his nose and stuff yeah, I want to ask them creepy questions and stuff. <laughs> it's just like, it gets a little old, you know? Do you get like, the creepy questions? Yeah, I get creepy questions, man. And like boundary crossers and all kinds of weirdness. And there's just a lot of, I don't know. That, that's, the, that's the, I think that's inherent to Periscope, right? Right. Is you're inviting people, you're, it's an intimate, it's a word we haven't used yet. Right. It's it's intimate by its nature and especially with a scope like mine where I don't have a big following and there's never even, there's hardly ever even double digits in the room. Mm-hmm. It's usually me and a few other people. Uh, every once in a while I spike or I do something a little more high concept that, you know, I'll have like a hundred people, but that's rare. Right. It's usually somebody who feels that they're developing a very close bond with me. Whereas from my point of view, I'm trying to, split my time between production and promotion I'm trying to dual per- not split it dual purposes Split it is the opposite of what i'm trying to do right I'm trying to la- layer my time product productivity between uh into both making the work and promoting the work at the same time and then these people think that i'm looking for a girlfriend or some kind of you know batman robin type situation oh you're looking you for know, they or, think you're looking for a sidekick <laughs> Yeah, stuff like that. And it's just, I'm not, you know, I'm not, it's not what I'm doing, but, um, I've kind of lost my train of thought there, but it's just that that's not what Periscope's for for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I like the ones where you're on the, you're on that draw and you're doing some cool stuff. Let's talk a little bit about, uh, about your art and everything, because I see you do animations and uh, I'm I'm fascinated by this because you're sitting there and you know, you're talking to the people just like doodly doodly doots, whatever. And you're just drawing this awesome stuff. Like it's nothing and making it move and do the things and stuff like that. Where did, where did that start? Where'd that come from? All right. Well, we were talking about, I was in French immersion, right? 
And uh, all through school, I always had this conflict with teachers where they were constantly trying to get me to put my pen down because I draw a lot, right? Right. Like here, just here's my recent years of sketchbooks. I don't know if I've got them on screen there, but that's that's a lot oh. of drawing, you know? Oh, um, holy cow. That's a lot like, of drawings. Yeah, I just spent that's just those are my sketchbooks of recent years. But I spent all my time in school drawing while the teacher was teaching. Mm -hmm. And I had no problem learning because it's like it almost makes it easier to somewhat distract your brain when you're trying to do something like animation, meaning like stay in a in a drawing flow, but be quick and loose about it and stuff like that. Right. Like having the having the language part of your brain working at the same time, whether it be it. By, uh, having to speak over Periscope or listen to the teacher lecturing, mm -hmm. it's like it works. So I'd always um, talking about school because I just learned to split my attention between either listening and talking, and or drawing uh, and drawing. Um, so it just kind of comes naturally, uh, and where it comes from is. Just as a kid, I uh, experimented with drawing flipbook cartoons in my mom's paperback novels. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, yeah, she'd yeah. Should be reading about Fabio, like doing foreplay with some chick, and then there's like a cannonball. Like she starts flipping the pages, and there's like a cannonball, like poof, like zooming past the camera, like anime, like in the corner. <laughs> oh, that's awesome! I love those yeah, flipbooks. Yeah, and I used to love to draw ones that were like like a bullet or a cannon or just something zooming past the camera and then the camera would change angles. And that's out of anime, right? Because that's where if you look at like cinema, it's been influenced by animation and particularly anime in that way, which the first reel when you start to really see this is in Armageddon, which I watched the other night with Michael Bay, mm -hmm. where every time something, every time something happens, it it's playing out like in front of the cameras, but then something will pass right by the camera. It'll go like whoosh and be like the camera's like an inch off of it. You're seeing every little nook and cranny and facet of light just for a couple of frames, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's gone. And that was never possible until we had like CGI and, and developed all these like better camera systems where, you know, you can get up close to something with a short lens with your $100,000 camera and not worry about shattering it and stuff. Um, what was my point with that was uh, we were talking about animation and how uh yeah how you guys uh, thought you used to do the flip books that came from the yeah yeah that, that yes i was just saying that that's why it was always something flying past the cameras because that was the trademark of anime is it it has these uh or, and just animation in general when it's action animation like one thing about animation i never care for the disney stuff and all the cutesy stuff all that much i mean i liked it i loved warner brothers but I, I, most of the animation I love is very few examples of, which is like people mm -hmm. fighting, fighting and stuff. Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> like, sounds like anime is going to be one of the yeah, only routes the you can go. Is, I don't like anime but you don't that like much. Anime. <laughs> you don't have a lot to watch, so, my friend. I don't have a lot to watch. There's like there's like three or four you know American movies like that, and then there's Miyazaki, which that's Japanese animation. Right. And there's there's all these Japanese movies, but there's a distinction between anime. And just Japanese animation, right? right yeah, of or at least like someone like a master, master like Miyazaki would be offended if you if you refer to his work as anime because anime is the the TV stuff that the the distinguishing characteristic is that it has many time saving techniques applied. Right. Uh, Limited a, animation. It, yes, exactly. Uh, it's not like cinema quality, really. Um, 
So it just it sometimes bugs me when people refer to all Japanese animation as anime, but that's racist. <laughs> yeah, it's it. It's racist. So so you're so you're drawing you're drawing flip books and things like that. You do you're, you're a doodler. Yes. You're doing all those I, things. I drawing flip books, and it's like I'm an '80s kid, so that I had no computer. It, paper was spare. You know what I mean? For me as a kid, to have a piece of paper that didn't have lines on it was like, oh my, I got gold here. Like, oh yeah. I'm too nervous to draw on it because the only paper I'd ever access to was was lined paper, right? And um, so. Every once in a while, you get the chance to sit in a computer lab and like, do just do a little paint program or something for a little while back then. And but eventually, I got into a communications class in high school where they had Amigas in the lab. Oh, you know, ever heard of Amiga? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Amiga, right? uh, they're the early video machines. Like in that era, the late '80s, early '90s, there were kind of three segments in the PC industry. There was the uh, desktop publishing was on the Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh, video and graphics was on the Amiga. And business stuff was on the PC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had no computer. So it's funny, my first real in-depth computer experience was with the Amiga. Um, and I had this professor who, in this communications class, uh, let me sit, like on the first day, he's like, just explorers, look around, guys. And uh, I sat down with this Amiga and started using the, I found the, the paint software. It wasn't animation, that was paint software, but it had like an animation feature. Oh, Okay. And I started working with it, and it was all very manual. Like it was such early times, and it just kind of like a, a secondary feature of the program that it was just very arduous. But in that sense, it was real close to like real animation on paper, where it's you're kind of working frame by frame by frame. Right. You're not doing a lot. You're not doing a lot of like here. Let me draw something once, and then tell the computer to slide it from here to here over 30 frames, and let me call that animation. That's not animation. Right. But um, yeah, it is of a sort, but. Uh, that was how I learned the uh, basics of kind of like mousing and menus and like that was not just my introduction to animation about computers but then the, the, uh, the other thing about that teacher in that course was you know we were supposed to be filming stuff we were supposed to be video editing we we're supposed to be doing all these things I refused to get up from that computer literally refused to get up from it or move away from it even to talk to the teacher about getting away from it like Craig <laughs> <laughs> so he came over and he sat with me and he said, listen, I can see you're into this. Your assignment, your, your, the entirety of your coursework is going to be you make a video to promote this course so, uh, in animation. So that I, spent, that was, I spent every class in that semester in that course doing that, but also had uh, any time access to the computer lab. Oh, nice. Including, yeah, including after school. So we're in Canada. There was more than once where I would stay after school, the janitors would be closing the place and kick me out, and there'd be a snowstorm, and I'd be like, I, I can't get home. I'd have to call my buddy with the Jeep Cherokee to come get me, <laughs> and he would. <clears throat> That's a good buddy. It's a good buddy, and it's just like, that was a magical time, because I was 16, and it's just like, I was into that, you know what I mean? Like I was taking all my spare, like to spend my lunches animating, spend my uh, after schools animating, um, all that semester so that was that but then there was another semester of that where instead of amiga it was uh autodesk animator on the pc mm-hmm. let me know if i'm going on, on too long or into too much detail no i'm loving but it that between those two things like those two semesters and plus all the extra time which added up if it was just semester time would have been like spending a whole year in animation at high school 
self-teaching because the thing is the teacher did not use the stuff mm -hmm. uh but in the second year i now had uh my dad had been given a think pad at work that was pretty high power and he was like i don't know what to do with this thing so he gave it to me i finally had a computer nice. i brought it to brought it to school and the teacher pirated the animation software from the pc for me so i now had autodesk animator full time on on this think pad and i was just lying in bed animating on it I, I I was in everywhere all the time animating just frame by frame and I don't have any of that stuff anymore. You know oh, what I mean? Oh no! <laughs> yeah, but it was mostly like I remember I tried to replicate stuff from Blade Runner. So there was like a shot with an eye and the cityscape reflected in the cornea over top the iris. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, then there was like the reverse shot of that of what they're looking at of the like a, a hover ship kind of going into the city with like belt factories belching fire and it's like this endless looks like you're like down low on a motherboard or something like it's just this endless grid um that's blade runner right right uh, but i was doing that in high school in animation and and just trying to work it all out and i remember doing a guy walking through plate glass in in uh towards the camera and that was real intricate and that's where i first figured out like how you really show gravity and stuff. Like I'd done it with bouncing balls and flip books and stuff, but when you're doing glass shattering or anything that breaks and breaks and then breaks, you start to, that's the, the pleasure of animation is you start to feel like what you're simulating, you know what I mean? Like you can kind of like chew it up or you can like sense it. Yeah, you the space. Yeah, you sort of get that, that extra, extra feel for it. Yeah, it's like a displacement, like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw those videos, those viral videos of this guy dancing. He calls himself Danny Elsewhere. David Elsewhere? David yeah. Elsewhere? You ever yeah, see that yeah, show? yeah, yeah. Um, his name, Elsewhere. Like, he had, he had written something somewhere about it. And I remember reading it and being like, yeah, I get it. But it's just for me, it's not dancing. It's it's like animating or like drawing or creating a game. Like, you create a place and a space and you bring it to life. You know what I mean? And then you're in there in your head. It's like this simulation that you're occupying, like a virtual reality where it's uh, richer and deeper than just playing a game or reading a book or something like that, which like reading a book creates a virtual reality. Right. But when right. you are, if you, when you're, when you're creating, not just like when you do a drawing, you create the space and you have the space, you can get in there, you can be there. But with animation, there's the time component, right? Where now you're in like virtual space time in your cognitive simulation model of this scenario that you're depicting. Um, and that's its own pleasure that is rare and you can only you can only achieve through that discipline which is a form of nirvana right so that's what animation is about but I'm only partway through like telling you where I, how I got into it all the way right yeah yeah she's uh, no you got me you got me hooked Craig <laughs> yeah sorry I'm going you know I'm being uh, real flowery because I'm aware people are listening we were sitting down talking in a burger booth or something and probably less pretentious right? oh, just yeah. give me credit no, credit yeah. for that no. <laughs> no you don't sound pretentious at all and, and also, by the way nobody's gonna listen to this so you ain't gonna worry okay, about so, nobody oh, listens God. to these things Whew. i'm just paranoid you know it's just that's another that's another thing i carry around with me i just I always think somebody's listening oh yeah um, no, no 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 nobody listens to this okay, if good. there's one if there's Thank one you. place you can you know spill the secrets it's on a podcast with a sock who's gonna listen to that uh, nobody yeah, yeah. nobody's gonna listen to that <laughs> watching animation but after the after the high school thing like where did i get to go with it i uh i just soon thereafter you know i was working full-time with computers i had this web design job where 
1996, they sat me down in front of a 21 inch, 22 inch monitor, mm-hmm. a 22 inch monitor in 1996. And I'm not sure how old you are or what that would mean to you. But back then that was gigantic. And I almost like, to me, I was like, it's, it's all downhill from here. There's, it doesn't get any better, <laughs> but <laughs> that computer was so fast. And that place, it had either a T3 or a T1, which I think was a T1, whichever was faster at the time. Mm-hmm. But you know, you could download whatever you want. The computers were fast. I, I, I had this job where I could just sit there. So I downloaded all these different things. And the first uh, 3D thing I did was Rhino. It's called, uh, which is a free program. But, you know, I just taught myself 3D sitting there, sort of my extra time at work, taking advantage of my computer access. Cause, um, and then from there, it was just a lot of self-teaching. I ended up with a copy of 3D Studio Max that was not necessarily legitimate. I have one now that I, you know, I fully purchased from Autodesk and right. using it for years. Like, you know, I'm on like 3D Studio Max. It's it's the version from 2009. I'm not sure it's called 2009 or 2010, but it's like six or seven years old now. But just sort of self-taught myself 3D just by getting my hands on the software and just kind of powering through it. Like, you know, just trying it out and learning. I don't do well with like tutorials or lessons in art and stuff like that or in like software. Yeah, it's going to be going to be self-teaching. Um, but then uh, after a few years that I got into Flash, which when you say you animate in Flash, the first thing people assume is that you're drawing something once. And as it like not just sliding it from place to place, but maybe you draw a person and then you segment their limbs into joints and then you you slide them around like this. Right. Yeah. And like. That's what a lot of paper of uh, flash animation looks like. It's characterized as this, what I call the paper doll look. Like, yeah, it's, it's like cut out pieces of the paper, like the South Parks and stuff like that. Yeah, and the cheapness of the look at South Park was part of the humor built into it back in the day. Right. And now it's like the most prevalent look. You know, everything's a little more elaborate, usually in South Park, especially the early stuff. But you know what I mean? Like it's... I'm just talking so much, uh, basically uh, being an animator and saying, talking to you work in flash. They assume you're doing that when I'm really doing traditional, uh, frame by frame tradition, uh, which are called traditional paper, digital paperless. We're basically doing, uh, traditional animation, but just without any physical media, you're doing it. But you're drawing like each, each frame you're drawing each one. You got like a onion skin type deal or you do it in drawing. Yeah, absolutely. You just turn that feature on and off with the software. And, you know, you used to need a light box and a stack of waxy light paper for that type of thing. But now right. you, just, you just flip it on and off. And that, that's the beauty of working digitally is you get the the authenticity of those techniques, which, you know, required uh, all kinds of special hardware. Uh, you still require special hardware, but it's like the, the time and effort overhead is taken out. Plus the cost because physical materials have a cost over time right yeah um so so you said so you taught yourself all this all this stuff Great. yeah i taught myself all this stuff and then the last thing i taught myself was a special rotoscoping technique where you might have seen some of the clips where it looks like me it's because it is me i don't know if you've seen those ones but i often show them because whenever i'm doing those animation scopes whatever shot i'm looking on if someone comes in i try and like kind of go through a quick reel just by calling up my clips one after the other that are like where i've some recent stuff right um and it's and there's some that are me um so rotoscoping is when you film footage and then you draw over top of it mm-hmm. um and it can often if you're not 
putting enough effort into it, just look. It's first of all, it's obviously rotoscope. You can kind of always tell when something is rotoscope, but it can look just just rotoscopes, or you can do something with it. You know what I mean? You can uh, once you've captured the motion and the weight, then you change the timing, or you add, you know, you change the facial expressions and this and that. And that's to me. Uh, like a really powerful technique for some other things I might want to do uh, beyond games and comics, um, which are some short films or maybe even feature like, Oh wow. Which are hybrid Roger rabbit type things. I have this kind of concept. You, you know, that video take on me by aha. Oh yeah, I do. do? Yeah. 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 And it's like the little, drawing guy. Yeah. 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 (laughs) This is so beautiful. The, oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I was right there for a second. <laughs> you was right back there in the 80s, wasn't you? Took you right back. Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous. It, I have kind of this um, feature film version of that. Like, it's not uh, exactly that, but it's uh, you're going back and forth between basically in and out of a comic and animation world oh i like it um yeah and it's like a combo of like you can reach in and pull things out and now that thing's animated in the real world and and you can go into the animation world and then eventually like creatures start leaking out of it um but it's you need the you need the rotoscoping technique combined with the 3d combined with just the just drawing free ball stuff out of your brain to make that type of thing happen so it's all. I feel like uh, I've always been kind of designing towards that subconsciously. That I, I really would like to just have that capacity. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe not. Maybe not necessarily do it, but just to know that I could is like it's satisfying in like this way that I I'm starting to feel because I feel like I've kind of gotten there. I'm not saying I mastered anything, but I could do it right now if I committed the time if, and the money is right. what I mean. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing I'm interested in cuz you you you're drawing all this kind of stuff. I follow you on the uh, on the Instagrams. So you got a lot of little clips and stuff up there. How do you like make yourself do do stuff? How do you not just sit around and watch TV or something? What makes you do, you know, draw stuff? I think first of all it's like if you're an animator, you probably have OCD. You know what I mean? Oh. Because it's a compulsion almost. Because I often would really rather be working on my game, which I really feel is one of the things I'm working on. It's eventually going to turn into money probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel pretty confident in that. Um, whereas the animation is not. The reason I'm doing the particular animations you're looking at, uh, they're to serve as a show reel so that I could get some work. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not animating things. You're like, not like in it, the animation industry or anything like that. You don't, uh... no, no, I've, I've never made any bones off animation at all. Like I've done a couple, you could call them animation jobs or they're really video jobs that I did crappy animation for, or, you know, I've done this, that 3d demonstration of some installation or something, but, it's like never done animation where it's characters or in a story or a scene of action or something that should be animated and couldn't alternatively be filmed. You know what right. I mean? Oh, okay. Um, and, and I've definitely never like gotten paid to just draw anything or anything like that. So really, would you would you take some money if somebody said, "Hey, I'll give you some money to draw a thing"? Would you do that? 
I absolutely 100% would. That's why my uh, Instagram says accepting commissions. And I just, I have a very, uh, I have like a real anxiety around selling myself. Like I really just kind of wait, want to wait for someone to come say, hey, draw this thing for me. But it's happened a few times, but for some reason it just never kind of goes through. Usually because they want to pay me 40 bucks to draw something that's going to take me all day. You know what I mean? Right. So I can't do that. Um, but it's, I don't know what it is, man. I just, if anybody out there wants me to draw anything, hit me up. I'll draw it. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> I don't understand. Cause there's, there's a ton of people that I see on the internet that are doing, they draw stuff and they, you know, they can't draw and do stuff as, as good as you do. How come people Thanks, like man. knocking down your door? It's, you gotta have temerity and you gotta have like low threshold. Like I do have like a lot of filters on my life. I kind of like just constrain things to like, just, I don't know anything that I suddenly have to do. I never want to do. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so it's almost like I'm afraid to get uh, paid for it. Like, I feel like there's a, a hymen there of sorts that I haven't broken yet of like virtue. It's just done for my pleasure. No matter how much I'm building it into products and have business designs in it. I've never just drawn some because somebody's told me to yet. You know right. I mean? never have. And it's like, so it's kind of virgin land. And it's just, I bet you once I do that first one, suddenly I'll report back that people are breaking down my door. You know what I mean? Right. Because I, I have, like I said, mentioned, have I've had people ask me and I had a friend come to me recently and he saw the, like I was mentioning, the rotoscope technique I developed of filming myself and animating it. Right. And he saw that and asked me about animating his kid. And he said, now how much would you charge for like a five second clip of my kid like twirling around and turning into a transformer? And uh, we talked and I told him 400 bucks and he said 250 was more like it. And I just told him now, like <laughs> 400. <laughs> talking Canadian dollars here, you got to understand. Oh yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, so it's just this because I should have taken that. You know what I mean? I right. should just popped, like, I just tried it out and said, you know, if I'm in my head, I'm designing it for four hundred. I can adjust and make it two fifty yeah. and make it workable. You know what I mean? Right. Or I could do a few of them at that level and then demand four hundred because now I've got a catalog to display. Right. You could be like, look at this. This ain't worth two fifty. Get out of here. Yeah. But it, all that lays beyond this hypothetical boundary we're talking about. So yeah, so it sounds like, you know, you know like you said, you're just sort of stopping yourself. Yeah, like there, it, it's definitely like a self hindrance. It's not. I don't have a trouble, you know, because I have worked for myself since the year two thousand. Right. I can, I can fulfill a contract. I can write a proposal. I don't know why I can't just draw you a horsey. <laughs> Would you just draw me a horsey already, Craig? <laughs> draw me a horsey in a tuxedo in front of a wall of flames. That's what I want. <laughs> That's all I need. That's fantastic, yeah. though. Like, because you, you've got all these different things. And then video games. When did that start? How did you, uh, did you play the video games as a kid? The Ataris and whatnot? Or was it just kind was... of an extension of the animation thing? It was absolutely was a in television kid. I kind of looked down on the Atari back in the day. Like, oh, I mean, plebes. Oh, well, pardon me, Mister Craig. <laughs> I have to do one button. Like my my thinking was, the intelligence had the whole keypad, right? So it right. had a whole phone. There's like could have been a damn military communicator. It had a whole keypad on it, and it had four buttons on the side. 
and then I had this disc. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So when the NES when the NES came along with the the cross pad, mm-hmm. I thought it was I was like this they're just ripping off the Intellivision. The Intellivision way ahead of things. But yeah, I go back to the Intellivision. I, I remember the day my family got it because I, I have a sister who's a year older than me, and I have a sister who's. 11 years older than me. Mm-hmm. It was really for the sister who's 11 years older than me because I'm really only a baby at the time. But honestly, it's one of my earliest memories is getting this thing. Oh, really? And then, uh, yeah, and was, I remember because it, it was a very odd thing because it's Christmas Day and the neighbors, one of the neighbors came over. Like, they, it was weird. Our neighbors had three boys that were all the same age as one of us. So they had a boy the same age as me, boy the same age as my sister, boy the same age as my other sister. Whoa, that's right weird. Next door. It was weird. And they, they brought over Space Armada, which was the Intellivision version of Space Invaders. Mm-hmm just to lend to us. But it, to me, it was just weird to have someone in our house on Christmas is what the, what? It was very weird, but because it was such a special thing like this, we're entering the space age here in our living room. We're, right. We're interacting with our TV. What the hell? Yeah. Who like does it was that? a new, yeah. The idea of uh, manipulating the image on your TV and like directly was a uh, straight out of, uh, you know, science fiction at that point. Right. So yeah, in television, uh, got pretty deep into it, you know, a lot of great memories there. And then, uh, you know, again, I'm not sure how old you are. I can't get a beat on it, but I don't know if you remember in the mid eighties, everyone stopped playing video games for a couple of years altogether. Yeah. Yeah, Like there was the video game crash and then literally everyone, everyone's Atari disappeared and then the television got tucked away. Like this wasn't, my family moved in 1986 and we just never plugged our Intellivision back and it's went in storage. Um, but then I got the NES in 1989, and that was my parents saying, "Are you? We're not buying you a video game system." So it's one of the first things that you've got the Intellivision. Yeah, what's wrong I mean, with this? It? Is like we've had the Intellivision for like seven or eight years at this point. You know what I mean? They didn't get it. They're like you never played that thing. It's like if I when I remember my childhood, it's mostly sitting there playing the Intellivision. Right. Um, but so I had to buy the NES myself, which was awesome because I felt like it was mine and I owned it. And, you know, it's mine. Oh. It was a great feeling because it's honestly, it was you know, probably the best experience of my life was getting an Intellivision or sorry, a Nintendo of my, uh, uh, my own. And <clears throat> I got it the day before uh, March break started from school. So oh, you get the March week. break? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we got a week in March. I don't I think Americans necessarily got it, but I think you call it spring break or something. But yeah, we get not spring, spring break. yet. So yeah, I think spring break is a little later, right? So yeah, we get March break in uh, in like high school and uh, junior high and stuff. But the, I got the Nintendo on the Friday, and then we had 10, 10 days, or it was 11. It's 10 or 11 days for that. And my friend... At the time, I would sometimes carry a briefcase around. Like I was like a weird, weird kid. But I remember my friend gave me uh, enough Nintendo games to where every pocket on this briefcase I used to have was full of games. He just lent me all these wicked games because oh. I had no games. Because I only had the money to buy the system. Right. It didn't <laughs> come. It didn't Mario come with the, the duck cut and the Mario. It did, but that's all I had. And I was like, "Come yeah. on now." Like, yeah, that gets old. I had, uh, yeah, because it, 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 some of my friends had already had Nintendo long enough that I was done with Mario Brothers, basically. You know, right? Um, but yeah, my my friend lent me all these games, and then uh, I went away to uh, this like cottage, and my other friend who was there brought over some games. So suddenly, I had like twenty games to play, and I had a broken leg, is the thing. And it, it was a uh, ski week, but I couldn't ski because I had a broken leg from hockey. Very Canadian. Very uh, Canadian. Skiing in, in New York State, though. Um, <laughs> but so I, you know, I was real 
uh, crappy winter for me, having a broken leg, not being able to ski. So the, the I wish I had gotten that Nintendo earlier, but getting it on this week, where it was a whole week, like I got, I went deep. Like I just spent a whole week playing Nintendo, like uh, every minute. What'd you play? And it's best best week of my life. Played uh, Castlevania. I played Punch Out. Played Metroid. Ooh. Played. Uh, I, I did play some Super Mario and some Duck Hunt. I had to. Like I, I, when I, I'm, I'm very kind of fastidious about everything. So I. Even though I had all these games, my it was a got it on a Friday night. But I I called my friend on Thursday and said, "Tomorrow I'm taking my money, buying Nintendo. My mom's taking me to Toys R Us to buy it. And uh, can you bring me some games?" So I had his games, but I forced myself to play Super Mario and Duck Hunt first in depth. Right? Uh, then I spent the rest of the week just going through it all. There was some sh- like uh, not great ones. There's Balloon Fight. Oh, you didn't like Balloon Fight. And Bloom Flight was okay, but all the, that was like one of the, you know, when they first put out the Nintendo, it was like 20 games. I think they call them the Black Label games. Mm-hmm. That was like a Black black Label game. And it was definitely of a prior era than what the Nintendo was really meant to offer, right? Yeah. Like it just yeah. felt a little quaint. It was like, it felt like a ColecoVision game or something, you know? So I, I did like it because, and also it was just Joust. And I remember I also had Joust. So I had Balloon Fight and Joust. And I, I think I realized before playing balloon fight that it was just gonna be joe's and that was the first time i kind of i mean probably wasn't the first time but i remember making that comparison like well it's weird uh you know this version of joe's isn't as good as balloon fight like i'd rather play balloon fight right which before i put them in i thought balloon fight's just ripping off joe's <laughs> that's interesting <laughs> what else what else did you play did you have blades of steel no, but I did play a lot of Blades of Steel uh, after that, and maybe before that. Did you ever notice that uh, you can play Gradius at halftime in Blades of Steel? When I bring this up to people, they some people don't say they, no, they did it. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, on the on the scoreboard, uh-huh. like the thing thing above the ice. Right at halftime, it, after halftime, it'll pan up, and you can play. You can fight a boss from Gradius on it. I did. Oh my goodness, I did not know that. Yeah. I had to pull out the Nintendo and give that one a shot. I used to play Blades of Steel all the time. That's actually my only, my only uh, any sort of experience with hockey at all is, is Blades of Steel. Oh yeah, that's all. That's all I got. Well, there. It's about pretty accurate with the level, the amount of fighting. I love like, the fighting. You know how you play it basically for the fighting, right? It's pretty much why we watch hockey. Oh, that's right? so, what it is. Everyone, everyone's being honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that's good. I'm glad we got that they got that out of the way. So you was a big, you was a big Nintendo guy. So that was fun. When did you start uh, uh, figuring out that you could make video games? Was that was that much later? That was much later. I was I was already. It was once I had been using Flash to make web stuff for a few years. Oh, okay. I started look like it just one day decided like, why don't I just try like making some controls and making something move around? And that was 2002, I remember, in the summer. I just made this thing where I made this weird-looking engine, and wherever you pressed, it was eight directions. You press up, you could press up and right, press right, press down and right, so on and so forth around the compass. And uh, it would like hammer these pistons up and down. Mm-hmm. And then like this, this, this thing would move, but the, 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 the thing I'm trying to say is the engine had the eight pistons that all face in the direction. Right. So it's like, I had the two things reacting to one input and, uh, there's this thing in gaming they call input amplification. Okay. 
where that's one of the sort of, you call it the specific sensorial pleasures derived from a gaming mechanic where uh, Angry Birds is probably like one of the best examples of it. Uh, where, you know, you perform one little action. Right. Pull, pull the thing back and then just let it go. And then you might be watching the physics play out for the next 60 seconds in some cases. You know what I mean? And oh, all yeah. as a result of, the, of your input. There's input amplification. So, yeah, that one, uh, creating that one, like, controls thing was, like, it was amazing. But at the same time, I, like, scratched the itch because then I put it away for a while. But then I, I got heavy into it a little bit in 2004. But what really kicked it off is um, I was just talking to my friend one time about fighting games. And we were wondering, like, we were talking about character, like we, we call it, what do we call it? We didn't know what it was called, but we call it character locking, mm-hmm. where in a, in a fighting game, if you're facing, if you were playing a character who's facing right and your opponent jumps over your head and is now to your left, right? in some fighting games, you're going to stay fighting right. And in other fighting games, your sprite's going to automatically face the opponent. You know right. what I mean? Right. We started started talking about that, and I just I just did an experiment to see if I could code that up, like see if I could make a character who jumps over another character's head and have him flip, face him, and then that became this game I showed you like over years and years. It became that game I showed you before called uh, on my scope called Whatever Does Not Kill You, where the guys running around fighting and stuff and jumping from platform to platform. Right. It's like, but it was all just kind of trial and error, fiddling with things. Um, and I've never done, I don't think I've ever done an, a tutorial or read a thing about how to make a game. Like, it's literally entirely just kind of self-guided exploration by mostly trial and error or trying to code something, getting an error code, and Googling the error code. Oh, okay. And then, and then you try, and then you, you fix that, and then you, you try some more, and you're making a mistake. You Google the error code, fix that. And it's just been that for more than 10 years now <laughs> and uh, getting close to releasing some games sometime in the like foreseeable timeline finally yeah i'm looking but forward to that because you've got it sounds like you've got a bunch of little pieces of things it sounds yes. like you have little pieces little animations do you have like a like a short thing like a full start to finish animation thing that you've done like a little no, short here, cartoon or whatever i think you're detecting the emerging theme, which is, to me, work in progress. I have never finished, you know, I showed you before on Periscope this array of sketchbooks. Yes. That's, I don't have anything but sketches. I don't have anything but works in progress. I've never finished a drawing or an animation or a game or a story. Or anything. You start something, <laughs> and then it's kind of like once the details are worked out in my head, and I've seen the end result in my head, and I know that if I play it out, it'll be a certain thing. Right. I, I just then you move on. Sort of sits, yeah. Like, and, but that's not when I say that. I don't want to be programming myself to do that. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, no, I we should intend uh, to do that. Right. <laughs> it's just one of those one was, of those things. Yeah, I was telling myself, like, any day now. Gonna gonna finish the thing. Gonna finish something. Let me just switch over to this other task in the meantime. Right. But you know, at the same time, the only if you make something, the only person who can say that it's done is you. So maybe it is done. Yes. It is, but 
as for having it's true about that because some people might look at some things they've done and call them finished the thing about having so many works in progress as far as you know there's a difference between having never finished a drawing and having what I would call works in progress or like um, production underway on several things at once mm-hmm. right because when you say production that means there's a product that's coming out right and it's going to be released it's going to have a promotional cycle attached it's going to have a sales chart hopefully of the you know snake shape nice long tail right um and the thing you don't want to do or at least that's built into this approach for me both as a part of the strategy and as a side effect of my like whatever my problem is is that when i start releasing things mm-hmm. there's going to be a whole series of things because as I finish these things, I don't start things these days as much as I work on them. Oh, you just pick eventually up stuff. St- yeah, and eventually going to start coming out. Because like what I'm saying is I have seven games, right? I just, I'm looking at my website. I keep looking over here. I, yeah, I have, I have seven games, three or four comics. As one comes out, that's going to be finished and out of the way more or less as far as working on it. I'm going to have to be promoting it, but the point is I'll be able to work on the other things. And I just, there's going to be a series of releases all of a sudden. I feel like when, you know, in a year or two, it's going to be like a three year stretch of just releasing something good every two or three months. Because uh, what I'm trying to say is I've been like staggering forward on simultaneous things and as slow going as it is, I do, I, I will finish them someday and then I'll have the benefit of like, not having to start something that takes two or three years because instead I've spent the last 10 or 12 years working on various things bit by bit. Right. So you, that's, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like a slow buildup where you have all this stuff and then you just kind of unleash it as a torrent, just like whoosh, all the big yeah. wave of stuff. So people yeah. be like, hey, what's this Craig guy? Oh, look at this really cool thing. Oh, my God. He, another cool thing. Oh, like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Three cool things? Four cool things? <laughs> just coming out one after another. Yeah, I used to call it critical mass, right? So you get a critical mass to form a chain reaction and go nuclear. Whereas if you just release one thing, you're liable to fizzle out. You know what I mean? Right. Be a flash in the pan and to overextend the metaphor. We were talking about this all. I, what am I? Plutonium or something in this... Uh, no, my projects are plutonium right and you need you need a certain critical mass in order to achieve like a bright you know affect the landscape whatever you want to call it but it, otherwise you run the risk like you could release something brilliant and get garner so much attention that i don't expect to release a world beating hit i expect to release something that appeals to artistic quirky types um, but there'll be some awareness built on that first release. And then the next one will build some more, you know? And so it's also, th- that is a strategic thing. It's not just a side effect of me having trouble finishing things. I, I have consciously tried to slope them together so that as one finishes, the rest kind of go like that. You know what I mean? And I, I, um, I, <laughs> no, I like that. I like that. That's a pretty good strategy. Yeah, like, uh, what I was trying to say there is um, I, I was trying to depict like a footpath that I'm building across like a, I want to close some gap. And it's like you, you leave yourself needing to make a leap if you only have one stone, right? But uh, if you can just go from project to project, like one can fail. 
But ideally, you, 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 you have some momentum from one to the next and you build attention until eventually you can rely on a certain level of sales when you put something out. You know what I mean? You build a brand, in other words. It's like the, the only way to do that totally independently with, as a solo guy is to either make small-scale, tiny things or make one brilliant thing. Oh yeah, that's true. Because you, because yeah. you, you. This is all you. All these things that you do. You know, yeah. So they are. They're all pretty small scale. So you don't. I mean, you don't have a bunch of buddies that are. You know, one guy's really into. You know, drawing stuff. Another guy's into programming. Another guy's into. You know, oh. UI or something. It's it's all you. Yeah, I have nothing like that. It, it, when I do collaborate, it'll probably start with audio, like people musicians and voice people oh okay Be- yeah because there'll be certain games i uh, probably want to voice when they're more story oriented right um and, and, and he's not a musician yeah i'm not a musician so i'm going to need to source music and you, know, you can license music all over the place and probably find something suitable in a lot of places, but it would just be better, I think, to have it composed for what you're doing. Like if you could have someone look at what you're doing and then write the music. Yeah, and I think that there's a lot more. of people that are, you know, just like you saying, I'm so good at music, but how come nobody ever pays me to do music things? So you find right, that right. person and then both of you win. Yeah. Yes, and you, that they used to call that synergy. I guess they would still call that synergy, but... Uh, Maybe only douches still call that synergy, but that's synergy, right? Yeah, that's synergy. Might make me a douche? No, 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 <laughs> no. That's just that's just one of those old buzzwords. Yeah, that's like one of those abused words. One of those OG buzzwords. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it works, and you just have to force yourself past that reluctance. Because one thing I always say, I love to say, is that uh, precision of speech gives you clarity of thought, right? Ooh. Like choosing choosing the right word is not always done for effect. Like it's done with a purpose, mm-hmm. you know. And I I, uh, I love it. Like today, I got props for using the word rube with somebody. They said they never heard rube in a long time, and oh, I was just yeah. like, "They're rubes, man." That's, that's a good word. It's a good word. I and. The funny thing is, I'll confess that after the, I got the compliments on it, like the props on using it, I Googled it to make sure I used it perfectly. <laughs> and I did. I oh, you did. It was perfect. I <laughs> nailed it. Way to go, Craig. That's <laughs> good. Because that, that would be bad. You don't want to get the. You don't want to get props on on false pretenses. Yeah. Because if both of you like just lying. Yeah, either they're like all uh, they're as off base as I am, or they're flattering me. Which oh god. Don't flatter me. Don't, oh, you don't like to be flattered? No. You're not a flatter? I, I, like, I like it raw and real. That's the theme. Like, I just like, if you don't like it, tell me. If you're not impressed, don't tell me you're impressed. You know, right. just don't be impressed. Just, uh, mm. just a real dude. I like that. Mm. Man, me and you get along just fine, Craig. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fantastic stuff. So where, uh, where can people find your, uh, your, your you and the things that you do on the internet? The best place right now is Twitter. The best places are Twitter and Instagram, which uh, my Twitter is Craig Smy with no spaces. 
And my Instagram is Craig Smy with an underscore between Craig and Smy. So Craig underscore Smy. There was already a Craig Smy on, on Instagram? Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah there was also, I also, I, I deleted my Facebook and some guy took my Facebook. So now I'm on, uh, uh, I wouldn't really invite people to look me up on Facebook right now, but I, I'm also not really Craig Smy on Facebook. That bugs me. But I also have uh, CraigSmy.com. Hey, that's good. Go go there, and I, I'm currently building it out, so it's a little. You know, it's just an empty WordPress theme right now. Some bare content that's all being built out. But there you'll see uh, sort of a uh, listing of all my projects, and you'll you'll see it grow. And there's a link for like, say, if you wanted to be uh, participate in an iOS alpha, it's called. If you wanted to have early builds of my game actually try them on your phone and not just on like the web browser or something you could you know there's instructions there to do that oh. or if you want to sponsor me sponsor me that would be great so please look me up on craigsmy.com or twitter.com slash craigsmy or instagram.com slash craig underscore smile i like that i'll put the i'll put the links and everything out so people make it real easy people to just to click and get and get to your stuff Let's play the siren for the first time call. Let's see what we go.